everybody. It's Tuesday. It's Fan Drive Time. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Ben Ennis. Blake Murphy. My wife got Beyonce tickets today. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, she was. Uh, so I knew she was. She had a, like a code to, to be part of. I don't know if it was a pre-sale. Anyway, she got a code to be part of the sale, which started at 4 o'clock today. Beyonce doing two shows at Rogers Center this summer, I think in July. And she said, these are going to be expensive, but like, I'm, I'm going to try and get four. And then because our, our kids are super into Beyonce as well. I was like, OK, let's do it. Got a text at quarter after four. I got two going with my girlfriend from work, which was a, a little bit confusing. Uh, I guess I'm fine with it. I like Beyonce, but I, I suppose not as much as her girlfriend from work, but she's going to Beyonce. I'd imagine she also had some sort of agreement with her friend at work where they were both trying to get tickets and hey if yes. you got four maybe significant others could come but if you only lucked out with two this this is generally the way you go with tight pre-sales or, or tight sales if you're going with friends is everyone kind of tries and you lay out the contingencies i wasn't aware that contingencies is the problem here well, blake it I also say, doesn't I, sound like it was that important to you it, it what wasn't. was your favorite track off renaissance <laughs> the one where you know yeah the good like, one I They're just, all good ones. I know. Thing. And like for her and her friend, like I, I've talked to some people who are like seeing Beyonce on this particular tour mm-hmm. is like the concert for them. Like, mm-hmm. like oh, yeah. there's not a price they wouldn't pay. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out that that's the case, despite the fact that she's playing at whatever 50,000. What is capacity for Roger Center for a concert? And under the new configuration, who I mean, knows even less? It'll but. depend also on how she sets the stage up. Because yeah. you can you can do different things with it. If you want to have this monster, um, like cut off the entire chunk of the outfield so you can have this monster stage and everything. If you just want a smaller one with the big screen and you want more upper bowl seating or whatever, you can do that too. I, I, don't, I don't know, but it's going to Pro- do... Producer Mike Gentili says the, the former... Rogers Center before the renovations for a concert was the the default was fifty three thousand. But you're yeah. right, yeah, you could do yeah, you could do a couple of other things with it. Yeah, and have then, you ever and seen a concert there? No, um, no, I can't imagine. It's I mean, for someone like Beyonce, the the quality of the crowd and everything like that'll be amazing. But I'm uh, I don't know, I'm more of a small show guy. Yeah, intimate. I don't think yeah. uh, Beyonce is in the mode of <laughs> playing any more intimate shows. I think that's over. But, like, you say that, and then bands come through and do smaller shows than you might anticipate. So Beyonce? No, not Beyonce, but, like, I don't know. It's just things happen. Like, I saw, so to use, like, a, a more punk example, and they have an album coming out on Friday, so it's timely. Um, like, Paramore headlined Bud Stage mm-hmm. in, I want to say, 2018. Um, and I went to that. And then, like, last time they were through, just last year... Um, they played history, which is like a 2,500 cap instead of a 15,000 cap like Bud stage. Mm-hmm. So you can do it. It depends in part on what the artist wants to do and stuff. But yeah, it's Beyonce. Like she could sell out Roger Center for the entire week if she wanted. So. Yeah, she's doing two shows. And yeah, you have to do and like these, yeah. these limited pre-sales for two shows. Like there's going to be 100,000 people yeah. that go to these two shows in the summer in the city of Toronto. Yeah, you're right. She could so, do a million. Anyway, I don't think you care the level that your wife and her friend care. I think you should be very happy for her that she will get to go to what I imagine will be a legendary and very memorable Beyonce performance. While I sit with the kids and have to babysit the kids, I guess. And listen to, I don't know, what are they into? Probably too old for like the Wiggles or whatever now, right? That's the only little kid songs I know. What are they like? Um, 
Yeah, they, they, they like what I like, so they like Rage Against the Machine. Cool. <laughs> Which is... Uh, yeah. Have they clued in yet that you are the machine they are raging against? Not You're yet. raging against a different machine? No. They are raging against you. Yeah, one day it'll be bleep me. Yeah. I won't do what you tell me, right? Yeah, yeah that's... Some of we those don't listen to that one. do yeah. this are uh, the same that... <laughs> well, not take, that, no. Take lunches, yeah. <laughs> no, so not that. So yeah. congratulations to my wife, going to Beyonce without me. Didn't realize I wasn't part of the contingency. All right. Wow, what a thing to win in a draw. Not only Beyonce tickets, but a night without Ben. Ah! Rude. All right, today's top story. Uh, Raptors back home. Last home game before the trade deadline goes tomorrow against the San Antonio Spurs, who who stink very much and like are now below the salary cap floor, so they got to start handing out money. Uh, but they they did a media availability for the first time since returning home after that seven-game road trip in which they went four and three. And Pascal Siakam, who has kind of reemerged as the topic of many trade rumor discussions, uh, he was asked about you know, how, he's, how he's doing this time of year. At the end of the day, we know what it is. Like, what's the point of, of us coming here talking every f- uh, well, sorry, every every deadline, like, oh, was it like, I mean, we know that's going to happen. Like, it is what it is. Like, and whatever happens, happens. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm at a point in my career where, like, it really don't matter. Like, you know, unless, like, I feel like, you know, there's some things going on or, you know, now that we're in the league where, you know, if I'm unhappy, I can, you know, there's things that can happen, you know, like, but other than that, man, I'm doing my job every single day. All right. Yeah, there was a little nugget at the end there that was interesting. But uh, shortly thereafter, Michael Grange tweeted uh, that uh, Pascal went into a little meeting with uh, with Masai Ujiri into his office briefly and then, I guess, reemerged. But this is a guy You're who... You're saying he's not still in there? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh and Grange didn't tweet about that. I, I know you talked about it a little bit with uh, Will Liu on, on the Raptors show. But, yeah, this is a guy who I don't anticipate being traded before Thursday. But you, you're hearing his, his name more and more as, as the days go along. Well, like I said yesterday, I had heard for the most part that the Raptors were just not listening on Scotty or Pascal. Like, it just wasn't something they were going to entertain this year. That softened a little bit after the Kyrie thing, in large part because other teams are panicking or curious as to if there's a, a topper move. And then of course the nets are going to call and see anything they can do to try to make KD happy and make that situation tenable. We had reports today that um, the nets and Durant have had discussions about the future of the franchise. And as of right now, the line to other teams and to KD has been that they're not shopping. They're not in, uh, entertaining deals for him uh, ahead of Thursday. So um that is why Pascal's name comes up because he's a really, really good player and the Raptors aren't a very good team right now. And it makes sense that teams would call on him. The Raptors are not shopping him. I don't think, I think it would be very difficult for Masai Jiri to trade him both because you're not going to get good value back. I don't think even with a panicked market right now. And because, you know, this is a guy who's grown up with the franchise and means a lot to the franchise has ties with the franchise that run deeper than just uh, on the basketball court. And I don't say that any of that stuff means a guy can't be traded. DeMar DeRozan was traded. 100%. Um, But it's something that you don't want to do on a whim. No. And you don't want to do because the team's had a bad couple of months. Um, 
the, but but the, the saying goes, and I know what you said is it supersedes everything, that it's very complicated to pull off a yes, move like that's this. that's the biggest in, part. I don't want to bog down with cap stuff 10 yeah. minutes in and market stuff. Read Blake's 4,000 words on how complicated trades. 5,200. <laughs> Sorry, I, sh- I, I thought I overshot it. I shortchanged you by 1,200 words. Sorry. Um, but yeah, no, it's super complicated. But like, the thing is, okay, so the, the saying goes when... We're talking about the the franchises, great players, whatever franchise we're talking about, being involved in trade discussions that you never hang up the phone. You take calls on everybody. Hey, Wayne Gretzky can be traded. The greats of, of all sports can be traded for the right price. And you never hang up the phone because you never know. There could be a trade that blows your socks off. It might even be what the Raptors are currently dealing with, a guy who I think is more likely to be traded before Thursday in OG Ananobi that, hey, this guy's not a pending free agent like Fred Van Vliet or, or Gary Trent Jr. We've got him under team control, under a great, great contract. He's a real, real good player. Doesn't mean, though, you can't have him if you lose your mind and offer us everything. And in this market, the possibility very much exists for somebody to lose their mind and offer way more than they should. I mean, we saw it in the offseason for teams who going into this year thought they had championship aspirations. Yeah, and the difference between a guy like Rudy Gobert and a guy like Pascal Siakam is that Pascal Siakam's actually good. Yeah, that's the that is the difference. So so maybe me imagining in my fantasy brain this 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 trade that is like a once in a lifetime return on a franchise player who you'd hate to lose but because of Every team in the Western Conference being involved in the playoff picture. You have so many buyers and so few, so few sellers. Maybe, maybe that fantasy isn't real because in the offseason, those same teams will just convince themselves of the same thing. Trading someone like Siakam is difficult in season for a lot of reasons. I mean, we don't see superstar, not superstar. We don't see all-star level players traded all that often in season because unless that player is asking out, uh, it's just really difficult. It's difficult from a cap math perspective. It's difficult to deal Pascal Siakam to a team that once they send you back all the things they have to send you back to make the numbers work and to make it worth your while would still want Pascal Siakam, right? Like it's it's the inverse of a Raptors KD trade where, yeah, of course the Raptors should want KD, but they'd have to give up so much that mm-hmm. then KD would get to Toronto and be like, why am I here? He'd look around and be like, please <laughs> trade me. Please <laughs> trade me for all the stuff you just traded away. Uh, I wanted to play with all those pieces. Um, it's also, again, and this is about, this is as much basketball as is non-basketball is like when you are, making a foundational change to the direction and makeup and timeline of your franchise. That is generally not a decision you make not on a whim because the Raptors have been sitting with these decisions since the off season. Um, but you know, if Siakam's name wasn't in the mix a week ago, what could fundamentally change for your organization over the course of a week? There you know? must be a bar though, right? Like they, they know their price for everybody. Yeah, there is. If the, if the Nets called and said, hey, yeah, you got to eat Ben Simmons, but those two spicy, lightly or unprotected future firsts we got and potential defensive player of the year, Nick Claxton, who's only 23, like if all of that stuff gets put on the table, then you start to have the conversation, but that's not going to happen. Um, and I, I, I pushed to you before we came on air, like, yeah, I get that it seems like a seller's market right now, and it is, but once you factor in the salary matching and how much you'd have to ask for back and all of those things and then compare it to the offseason where more teams have cap space um, instead of maybe 10 teams thinking they're 
contenders. Maybe it's 15 teams could talk themselves into, hey, a 29-year-old, multi-time All-NBA guy. Um, there's also the fact that uh, in the offseason, there will be more certainty around what Pascal Siakam's next extension looks like. And if you're trading what it would take to get Siakam, you're certainly anticipating extending him next offseason. So when you line all that stuff up, it's it still makes more sense to me that that would be an offseason decision um, because it is so foundation altering and, and there are so many complexities. And then the other thing is I, I pushed it to you is like, OK, if it is a seller's market that makes it that you'd get such a great return for Siakam right now, what's the deal? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of the teams that would be in a vacuum most aggressive for Siakam have they're most aggressive and most desperate because they've already traded a ton of stuff away mm-hmm. um, like. These I mean, the teams do not have boatloads of picks and prospects yeah. to throw at you right at the second. Like maybe a second tier team that sees Pascal as helps this year and long term um, can get there with you. But like Brooklyn doesn't have the pieces. They're like they're not that they're going to put in the middle here. Phoenix doesn't have the pieces unless you really well, like DeAndre Ayton, which yeah. not a, at that contract, not for Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. Dallas doesn't have the the pieces, of course. Now um, you can go. The Lakers don't have the pieces like Russ and those two unprotected deep future first aren't getting it done. So you start to go down the list and it gets even though it's a seller's market, it's that maybe tops out before you get to all-star caliber players now the og trade is i guess easier to make because the salary is not max salary um yeah and he's he's a little younger he's more like i I think if we're being realistic about player values too it's it's a little easier to trade a guy who is a really helpful piece but not a max contract guy yeah like just like value wise not not even contract wise it's just that's an easy piece to easier piece to bring yourself to part with now, OG has been ruled out for the Raptors' final game, and it happens to be a home game before Thursday's trade deadline. He's still working his way back from that injury. Um, still not cleared for contact. Either. Okay. So twofold, I guess, is one, does that impact his value in trade if they're looking at that? And and, and two, I mean, I, I guess if he's not even cleared for contact, it's, it's hard to put the tinfoil hat on, right, and mm-hmm. do what I was doing at the beginning of this road trip when Nick Nurse was like, they're telling me he's already ruled out for the entire road trip. It's a thousand games long. Why are they doing that? Where do you think Nick Nurse is from? I don't know. That, that's not that Iowa. not an Iowa accent. No, no. it wasn't. Uh, you're better off going, I think, just like, what is an Iowa accent? Well, I mean, Nick Nurse has one, but I yeah, don't think it's I, like think discernible. No, I think the best bet you would have at it is uh, maybe you just try a Minnesota accent and, and hope. I can't do that either. But uh, no, Iowa. Like I, North Dakota, like a Fargo thing? like Yeah, I mean, Iowa's further south than those, but it's attached to Minnesota. Yeah. You ever been to Iowa? No. All right. Uh, all right. uh, that might not be true. I may have driven through Iowa at some point because I've been to Minnesota and uh, as part of a trip that included more stops. I'd have to double check. Um, so, no, it, this doesn't affect OG's trade value except for the fact that uh, a big factor in OG's trade value is the fact that he hasn't played 70 games in a season since his rookie year. Yeah, no, that, that's, yeah. That's, like, it's that's, no mm-hmm. one is going to be concerned about the wrists specifically, but they will be concerned about, you know, if you're adding OG Ananobi for the playoff push, do you get an OG Ananobi for every playoff game? Uh, so you mentioned the the Woj tweet um, that in the aftermath of the Kyrie Irving trade, the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant having ongoing conversations on the direction of the franchise, but organization has thus far told inquiring teams that they're not sh- uh, planning to trade him before Thursday's deadline. Uh, I guess you're you're 
you're satisfied if you're a Nets fan. There's like a, a couple of words in there that still make me a little bit nervous if I'm a Nets fan and thinking that at least we're going to get one more kick at the can here with with Kevin Durant. Well, and also the fact that we haven't heard directly from Kevin Durant since the Kyrie Irving trade. But yeah, yeah thus far, thus oh, far yeah, is, is in there thus far. Yeah, he's uh, I mean, and he's out until the all-star break, it sounds like. So there will be. There's no like contractual impetus for Kevin Durant to speak until mm-hmm. he's back in the lineup. Like when you're hurt, you don't have to talk. No. So I, I mean, it's not like Katie's a guy that ducks that very often. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, his Twitter I, account is still active too. He's yeah. well within his right to, to tweet. Yeah. Um, which he probably will, but he's probably <laughs> waiting for post deadline. Cause I mean, I, I think he's probably learned over time that you can, hurt your own leverage or hurt your team's leverage in trading you. If you, if you do that, um, he's also probably honestly like having, uh, some difficult conversations with the front office about what that looks like. And if he's, you know, he, he very clearly the way last summer played out and the way this has played out, like doesn't have slam dunk thousand percent faith in the direction of the organization and their ability to help him win another championship. But, you know, I think he's smart enough to know, trading him at this point like brooklyn's probably just gonna say no they had all off season mm-hmm. to trade him we're like no we're calling your bluff mm-hmm. like and they're fourth yeah I mean, and it's... you have three more years left on your deal and you have a roster that was better with kyrie irving for a playoff series but is still like built pretty well around kyrie irving, or around kevin durant rather yeah they are and they've got plenty of uh, of assets to to make another move before thursday kyrie also did his, his first media availability today in dallas um yeah kyrie and- mad libs <laughs> <laughs> so he hasn't alienated the fans of Dallas uh, yet or, you know, Mark Cuban yet. So it was like in that regard, it was a success. Um, Rachel Nichols kind of summarized it nicely. Kyrie Irving in his first press conference since the trade says he felt disrespected by the Nets, wishes that he had paid more attention going into who were the people running the franchise, said he felt wanted by the Mavericks. Uh, I would add to an addendum or I would add to to that, that um, it was discovered that the Instagram post, you may recall, that Kyrie eventually made in response to the anti-Semitic movie that he promoted on his Twitter feed, that Instagram post apologizing for that, the one apology we got because it didn't happen verbally, that's been deleted, Blake. So, I mean, the mind does wander, and, and as far as I thinking, mean, maybe does. that wasn't that wasn't maybe from the heart when Kyrie ori- he did, originally he posted did it. Stand by it a little bit um, when asked about it, and also like Mark Cuban's Jewish. Uh, yeah. I don't like. I would hope that Kyrie Irving learned uh, his lesson through all of that, not just about sharing that stuff, but about why it's so harmful um, and problematic to be sharing things that have those opinions. Um, I don't know. Maybe we talked to Tim Cato about it yesterday. Like I, I was half joke, only half joking when I said that um, the Mavericks thinking this is a, a culture fit is, is half negative or is, uh, you know, kind of being negative about themselves. Um, anyway, this is something to monitor, I guess, because Kyrie Irving, it's always something to monitor, but he does have the, Hey, it's a new shiny situation. Hey, I can stick it to the nets hey, we're really close to the playoffs, so I only have to kind of lock in for a third of a season in the playoffs here. I don't, like, I, I zero faith on my end that 
a Kyrie fit anywhere last long term at this point. Mm-hmm. But for this season, sure. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I know it, it could have gone. It could have gone even pear shaped today, but it it didn't quite. Um, also, LeBron might become the NBA's all time leading scorer tonight. Needs thirty six points to break Kareem Abdul Jabbar's record. Thirty five to tie it. Uh, the Lakers hosting the Thunder tonight. And the tickets are going for like hundreds of thousands of dollars if you want to be in mm-hmm. attendance uh, in Los Angeles for this. Um, it's curious because the Lakers also play at home on Thursday night against Kareem's old team in the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, tonight is a TNT game, but not the marquee TNT game that we get Thursday night. I think LeBron wants a win first and foremost because his team is life and death to even make the play-in tournament in the Western Conference, but you could see him orchestrating this like to the to the point where whatever he wants to happen can and will happen. If he wants it to happen tonight and not on the day of the NBA trade deadline and just wants to, to get it over with and have his moment in the sun, he scores his 36 tonight. I could see him scoring, you know, in the in the low 30s and saving it until early in the first half against the Bucks on Thursday, Blake. I... I would guess, not knowing LeBron, that he would rather do it tonight. Um, Then all the attention is on that and not on the trade deadline. Um, Yes, there is the Kareem-Milwaukee element, but also Kareem spent 14 seasons with the Lakers. Like, he's Mm -hmm. already on the Lakers. Um, Yeah, and and then, like, there's, there's a much higher risk in that Milwaukee game that they that he does it in a loss, and the conversation is once again about how LeBron's twilight years where he's still like he's he's doing this unbelievable stuff for someone his age and he's not slowing down and it's being wasted if you lose to the defending champs or not the defending champs but two years ago if you lose to Giannis's team a team that has championship aspirations this year on the trade deadline day when there's already a million other talking points like who is talking about LeBron's record on Friday probably everyone still but you're gonna have more of the Skip Bayless type conversations around it. That could um, happen tonight, though, too, because the Thunder have played pretty well. Sure, but I said likely. <laughs> it's like it's likely <laughs> they lose to Milwaukee than it is to Oklahoma City. It's true, but you it's can't... likely they lose to either of those teams <laughs> because they stink right now. Um, yeah. No, it... the the Galaxy Brain one would be um, to that he sits one of these games and then does it in Golden State. Um, now a little likelier maybe with Steph not there, but they, they were his biggest rival, right? Like he had four straight championship battles against them. And I think he would consider Steph Draymond clay, like his biggest rival if he had to choose one. Um, now that one is not at home, but it is a nationally televised game as well on Saturday. Um, anyway, I just think you can, you can get inside LeBron's head and just like, Pick whichever one you want. No, this matters to him, and it should matter to him, obviously. I just don't think the when matters all that much to him. I suppose not. I I think he's glad that it's happening at home. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, knock on wood that he doesn't get, like, injured in the the first half of this game or something. Um, But, no, I I think he's he's glad that it's happening at home. I think he would prefer for his team to be uh, a lot better, I'm sure. And you know what? He's uh, on the record as saying... He would have preferred his team to be currently employing Kyrie Irving. And, and we'll see what happens before Thursday. And whatever you think of LeBron, best player of all time, second best player of all time, I don't know, fifth best player of all time, I think it's pretty, That's too low. Yeah. Uh, one or two, I think, listen, I'll just speak for myself. I know I want to see LeBron James come playoff time, right? Like whether that's just one game 
and, or in the playoff uh, play-in round and then maybe getting his doors blown off in, in the, the first round against Jokic and, and the Nuggets or whatever, I, I am hopeful that the Lakers now, with obviously the willingness to use those two first-round picks, go back to the well and are able to to shore up this team to to a degree enough that they win enough games to be in the play-in tournament. Like I'd, it would be it would be crappy to see thirty-eight-year-old LeBron James, maybe the greatest player of all time, having a vintage season, be on the outside looking in. Game and a half back of the play-in. No, I know that's right what I'm now. saying. Three and a half back of avoiding the play-in altogether. So, yeah, I think they'll be aggressive ahead of Thursday. I don't think they have a choice. I think you know he breaks it tonight. That's not that the Lakers don't know there's pressure already and where those pressures are coming from. But yeah, the headline item of all time new all time leading scorer on team way well below 500 and out of a playoff spot sits out trade deadline. Come on, that's mm-hmm. they'll they'll push more chips in between now and Thursday. I'm almost sure of it. Uh, by the way, LeBron has scored. 36 or more nine times this season in 43 games. So about a 20% chance on yeah. a given night. Yeah, it uh, could easily happen tonight uh, against the Thunder. Uh, the idea that Lou Dort, whose whole thing is just being incredibly irritating defensively, uh, gets to look down or could have looked down LeBron and said, um, you know, I get the chance to make sure you don't get it tonight. Like the old Mr. 3000 thing of you, you ain't getting that hit off of me. Um, but he's been uh, out for quite a while. So that stinks. Yeah, that would have been a cool matchup. Oh, well, uh, maybe in the playoffs or the play in tournament. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll Thunder see. pretty good defensively, by the way. Yeah, no, they've been way better than expected. All right. Uh, when we come back, we are less than a week away from uh, Sunday Super Bowl. Of course, Peter King of NBC Sports Football Morning in America got a chance to ride to the Eagles facility with head coach Nick Sirianni. We'll talk to him about that and plenty more as we get set for the Super Bowl. As uh, the fan drive time continues, Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. You're going to talk to uh, Peter King in just a second. Like I said, he did a ride-along with Nick Sirianni in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. Fifth time he's done that with a Super Bowl participant head coach and got a 500 record. Yeah, two and two. Um, yeah, three and two if you include his phone call he had with, with Todd Bowles. Which, I don't. Yeah, that's yeah. not drive-along. That's just a phone call. He tried to include it in his, his latest. Um, so I I drive. I drive to work. I drive home from work. I drive by myself. I have a car that I only use. It's disgusting. It's filthy. And people who oh, follow... Yeah. JD posted yeah. content about that on Friday, right? Yeah, I know you also drive. You drive... I don't have a car, though. No, but you drive. Yeah. So, like, we can project what your car would look like. Like, how organized are you? How organized do you think my car would be? Pretty organized. Yeah. You're a very clean dude. Like, yeah, there's no garbage in there. Everything, like, obvi- like I eat and drink in the car. I don't care about that. But I would take the garbage out immediately mm. once I stop next. That you know, get gas, go somewhere, whatever. 
Uh, yeah, no clutter, no garbage, anything like that. So your like your analytics brain like carries over because I'm just I, a tidy person. No, I, I, don't I noticed think it really that. has analytics stuff. It's but just, no, I'm you don't think tidy. that that's the part, the same part of your brain? Like you like to organize the numbers. You have many spreadsheets. Like I think there is like, I think there's a crossover to you being very good with numbers and understanding yeah, analytics and then being a very tidy and organized, neat person. You don't see that? I mean, I guess I never really thought about it that much. Just okay. And then there's me who's like Mr. I test. Not yeah. really. But like in this example, I'm Mr. I test. I go with my gut, with my heart. And I have a disgusting, filthy car. So that's the difference between yeah. you and I. Yeah. What was it that JD was had to throw off your passenger seat to get in? I, I I eat rice cakes because I I I when I'm done this show, I'm very hungry, and I have an hour to go before I eat dinner, and I want to eat something that is like filling but not necessarily bad for me. So I eat mm-hmm. rice cakes. That's the thing that I eat. Are um, they the flavored ones at least? Yeah. There. Oh, I, I actually the, there's an everything. Like an everything bagel, but there's an everything flavored rice cake, which is it's it's delicious. I do like rice. Like I'm a I'm a big hunk of natural peanut butter on a rice cake, like as a quick breakfast. I've never done that. I don't I don't like accoutrement on my my rice cake. I just well, it's raw just a plain dog rice cake. Don't say that on air. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't I don't know how you could do a plain. I guess like I don't have an everything rice cake. That would be a weird. Vibe for breakfast, I think, but yeah, just a plain rice cake with some. Disagree. Uh, you would have a ev- tablespoon would, of peanut butter on it. You would have an everything bagel for breakfast. So yeah, you should have an everything uh, rice cake for breakfast. Um, so we're gonna talk to Andrew Bryant later on in the program, host of the uh, Business of Sport podcast. He's also a former Packers executive. Uh, we'll talk to him about Aaron Rodgers. Who, by the way, I mean, man, Pat McAfee show is like the place where like every NFL figure goes to. And especially Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he Aaron Rodgers on there like once a week now. Yeah, he literally is there uh, once a week. So the latest from Aaron Rodgers is that he's going to go on his four-day darkness retreat. And then after that, we'll probably have some sort of resolution to his situation in Green Bay. So his darkness retreat, if you're unfamiliar with darkness retreats, which I imagine most people are. It's my entire life, but <laughs> That was dark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that he goes into a house for four days. Small house, specifically. <laughs> but it's the size matter if it's dark. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but for four days, and then it emerges after four days of darkness. Now, there's there used to be a place, I assume it's still here, um, near where we are at, at Bloor and Jarvis. It was uh, at, uh, I think, like, I think it was on Church Street, where you eat dinner in the dark, which I tried. And it's supposed to, like, enhance the the taste of the food because yes. your other you senses... eliminate are... one sense, the others go higher. That's how Daredevil exists. Yeah, and All that it. stuff. Okay. I would say that it was fine. Um, and I won't be doing a four-day darkness retreat anytime soon. All right. Uh, we do have Peter King on the line right now of NBC Sports Football Morning in America. Uh, Peter, thanks for doing this. You ever been on a darkness retreat, hearing about Aaron Rodgers' darkness retreat? Does it intrigue you at all? Is there anything about Aaron Rodgers that is normal? No, very few. I mean, I, this this is just, there's nothing that, have. can you imagine if Aaron Rodgers just simply said, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna go away for a few days and just think about this, uh, and I would think in a couple of weeks I'll have an answer for you. Yeah. No, no. it's got to be 
I'm going to go sit in darkness for four days, and then I'm going to go on an ayahuasca retreat to Peru. And then, I, I, I mean, it's just I, – and again, look, I am all for people doing what they need to do to feel good, to do all that. It's just, it is one thing after another with Aaron Rodgers. It just is. And it just is weird. That's all I can say. If you buy buy stock in Aaron Rodgers, you're buying stock in something that is just totally out of the ordinary at almost everything he does. Yeah, look, you you just laid it out, you know, whether it's a darkness retreat or a ayahuasca vision quest, Joshua Tree, whatever. It sounds like a good hang if you're going with anyone other than Aaron Rodgers is the uh, the issue there. I, I guess, Peter, my question more to his actual football situation is, like, I get that he's kind of doing the media rounds because it's the offseason and it's what he's interested in right now. I know he does have a little bit of agency in this, but... Why does everything sound like he's a free agent on a free agent tour trying to decide his next destination? Um, the Packers have will have a lot of say in how this goes from here, will they not? Well, no question about it. But but I just want to remind you that a year ago, the Green Bay Packers had a situation where they had almost an entirely new receiving core. And this entirely new receiving court did not have the benefit of working with Aaron Rodgers in the offseason, except for one long weekend at a mandatory minicamp. Okay? So, basically, they came to training camp, and all these new receivers had to get on the same page with Aaron Rodgers right away. It's not impossible. It's not ridiculously difficult and all that, but... But just if you have an all-new group of receivers, you really want to be able to make sure you get enough work in with them in the offseason so that everything is going to go okay when, when the games start. And last year, that wasn't the case with Aaron Rodgers and his receivers. And I think that uh, Matt LaFleur, as much as I think he really does like Aaron Rodgers, Brian Gutekunst, as much as he really likes Aaron Rodgers, they're asking themselves, do we want to pay $60 million for Aaron Rodgers to work for us for five months? And let's stretch it and say six months. Do you want to pay Aaron Rodgers $10 million a month to work for you this year when you saw what happened last year? And the results, at least until – you know, mid-November were disastrous. And so I think they want him to be all in. And I'm not sure they're going to get an all-in player. If they aren't, I think they will try to trade him. Yeah. Hardly sounds like he's going to be all in or is all in on the Packers next season. All right, let's get to the latest edition of Head Coaches in Cars, talking to sports Mm -hmm. writers. Um, Your fifth ride-along with the Super Bowl head coach is – Nick Sirianni, uh, it was a, a, a great um, back and forth that, that you two had uh, and that you wrote about on Football Morning in America. Do coaches get motivated by things like being fired or, or not added to Andy Reid's staff um, when Sirianni was originally with the Chiefs and Andy Reid came over to be the head coach in 2012? And if they, if they do get motivated, isn't that plenty of reason for, for Nick Sirianni to be motivated going into this matchup on Sunday? 
I don't think so at all. I'll tell you why I don't think so. I want you to think 10 years ago this month, Andy Reid was trying to figure out who he was going to take on his new staff in Kansas City. Okay? Now, he had on his, uh, on his list a guy on his, uh, who had been on several of his coaching staffs. Okay, a guy by the name of David Cully, who ended up being the, uh, you know, the coach of the Houston Texans two years ago. So this guy was almost an Andy Reid lifer on his coaching staff over the years. So you basically had him and then you had the existing uh, position coach, wide receiver in his first year with the Kansas City Chiefs. 31 years old, a guy named Nick Sirianni. Andy Reid did not know Nick Sirianni from Adam, okay? And, and again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not making any judgment on this other than to say, put yourself in Andy Reid's shoes. I've got a loyal soldier named David Culley who I'd like to take with me, or I could take a guy who I never heard of, who I never met before, who I've never talked to. I'm going to interview him. But he's going to have to be – he's going to have to walk on water to beat out this guy who I really like, who I know I've had for a long time, David Cully. He kept Cully. And, look, I talked to uh, Sirianni about this. He's not angry about it. Surely he has to think, uh, boy, you know, imagine if he took me or whatever. But how possibly – it would be irrational for him to be angry about it. So no, I and I and listen, Nick Sirianni's not an irrational person. Yeah, he's a very good NFL head coach, and everything's worked out since that uh, for him. As he's now in his second season as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, his first two seasons as an NFL head coach, and he finds himself in his first Super Bowl in a, a career record of of twenty three and eleven. And this is after a, what was it a four win season that eventually got Doug Peterson fired yeah I, I mean we talk about projecting these young quarterbacks and the Hall of Fame careers that they're on I mean to 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 start your NFL head coaching career is there a better start than what Nick Sirianni's had you know it almost reminds me of Matt LaFleur because remember Matt LaFleur had one of the best records in his first three years of any head coach ever it was like Paul Brown-esque and uh, so, yeah, you know, he and plus, I think Nick Sirianni had the great fortune to go in a place with guys like Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie. They're very, very detail oriented. They're very analytics oriented. Nick Sirianni loved it. So I think those guys had an awful lot in common. And it turned out to be a really smart pick for them two years ago. It did, and between him and Gannon as the defensive coordinator, they've been able to do some pretty interesting things um, that are pretty relevant yeah. for uh, a Chiefs offense that's going to try to score against them with a Patrick Mahomes who's maybe banged up, a wide receiver core that's definitely banged up. Um, when you look a little deeper at the numbers, one of the things that stands out about this Eagles defense is they have been incredibly effective pressuring quarterbacks without committing to the blitz a ton. Um, What goes into that? Why have they been so successful doing that? Because the convention is, yeah, you blitz to get pressure on a quarterback. They have kind of been able to do both at once. Everybody's heard of these, 
you know, because it's, it's such a part of the NFL landscape now. NFL next-gen stats, they've been around since 2016, in which they really take a deep look inside the game every, every week. And so I've partnered with next-gen stats this year to write a little bit about interesting things every week that happen in the NFL. And the most interesting single statistic, in my opinion, this week, okay, in this game is what you just referenced, that, you know, this week uh, the, the Philadelphia Eagles so far this year lead the NFL, including playoffs, with 77 sacks. 77 sacks in 19 games. So basically they're getting four sacks a game, mm. which is a lot. And of those 77 sacks, three-quarters of them have been gotten without blitzing, so with four rushes or less. Now, everybody said, well, who cares? What does that matter? Here's why it matters, that Patrick Mahomes, when he goes back to pass, not being able to extend plays really, not being able to run around as much as normal, he's going to be facing seven-man secondaries consistently in this game and you don't go out you don't send seven guys out you know in a route you know if you're the offense you know at absolute most you'll send five and most often the most you'll send is four and so if you are the Kansas City Chiefs you're saying man we need our receivers to win a lot of whom are going to be facing extra coverage. We need them to win because we can't count on Patrick Mahomes to run around like he normally does. So that, to me, is a really, really naughty problem uh, for Kansas City on Sunday. Yeah, no, no question. And it feels like a cliche to talk about, hey, the, the best way to beat a good quarterback is is to get to him without blitzing. Um, but, I mean, we yeah. do have we, yeah. have we have recent history, though, right? A, a couple of years ago in that Super Bowl against the Buccaneers, he was sacked three times, but he was running for his life, and, and they were able to bottle up yeah. a, a prolific Chiefs offense. I mean, if, if the Eagles are going to win, yeah. won't it look like that? Well, I think that Patrick Mahomes is going to have to play the game of his life to win this game. But I also think that, look, we are watching one of the great offensive lines that we have ever watched. And I don't say that. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here. This offensive line is playing as well as I've seen an offensive line play in years for Philadelphia. Now, why am I bringing that up? I'm bringing that up because you remember going back to the Patriots being 18-0 and and playing the New York Giants 15 years ago. And when they played the New York Giants, what happened was Steve Spagnuolo, the Giants defensive coordinator, sent all sorts of different looks at Tom Brady that the Patriots had never seen the Giants run before. And I mention that because obviously Steve Spagnuolo will be designing against a great offensive line. He'll be designing how to rush Pat, how to rush Jalen Hurts. And so now I am trying to think, you know, as I think of how I'm going to cover this game, I know I am going to chart uh, the pass rushes that, uh, you know, that Steve Spagnuolo uses 
with his Chiefs front because I think that's going to be absolutely fascinating. Peter, we know you're a native New Yorker um, and that there's been plenty of controversy around the Empire State Building, which uh, <laughs> lit itself up all, all green after the Eagles uh, triumph in the NFC Championship game. And apparently will will light green if the eagles we'll do it again like how we'll do it again. <laughs> they didn't learn their le- I, I i get it it's, it's just a building it's not a big deal but it is like i mean what do you think of when you think of new york city you think of the statue of liberty and like maybe number two yeah. is the the empire state building it yeah. is like hey, slightly look, insane the amazing here here's the amazing thing about it and a couple of friends of mine um you know one of whom is in commercial real estate You know, he said to me last week, he goes, hey, listen, everybody's making such a big deal. The New York Post had a big story. You know, Empire State Building to New York City, colon, drop dead. You know, and and everybody is making a big deal of this. And as he said to me, he goes, what would have happened if they didn't light it up in green? Nobody would have noticed. Nobody would be talking about it if they just lit it up in white, which they usually do when they don't have anything to do. So you start to think about this. And what is hilarious about it is, so they've got so many people talking about it, mentioning it. Everybody who lives in New York and who notices will be looking out the window Sunday night to see what color the Empire State is lit in. And it's just so... The Empire State Building is doing something that is good for the business of the Empire State Building. And so the more I've thought about that, the more I say, that's a pretty smart group of people who run that building. I, I guess. I just I, I didn't know the Empire State Building like was, I don't know, tourism was down at the Empire State Building. And I, I, I guess maybe more tourists from Philadelphia are going to make the trek. But, yeah, I don't I guess we're talking about it. And, and, and that's good. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. But Nick Sirianni, when I was driving with him to work, I asked him if he heard about it, and he said, yeah, and he goes, that would not happen in Philadelphia. Sure. And it wouldn't. There's no way that they would light up the, you know, the the Liberty Bell in Giants blue when the Giants win the the Super Bowl. So uh, I, I I think it's a little bit different in New York and Philly. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, Peter, uh, always enjoy the chats. We'll, we'll talk to you after we, we know who the this season's Super Bowl champion is next week. Sounds great, guys. Thanks a lot, huh? Yeah, you too. See you, Peter. There's uh, Peter King, NBC Sports Football Morning in America. I, 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 I don't know who that – like, is there a monetary value you can put on, on the Empire State Building – getting as much social media attention as it has uh, over the last couple of weeks? Like, you could try now, and this is a very Super Bowl we time. And Rovell like, would be on that. Like, Darren Rovell like, would probably put a number on it. But this is how these things always go, is, like, the, like, corporate-type people and the type of people who would want to monetize this are a little behind and don't realize that it's the authenticity of that initial reaction to everything. Like, they're absolutely going to... Someone is going to pay to do something around that again this Sunday, and nobody will care because it's already been done, and it now just yeah. feels lame that... Well, it's confusing. Again, like, I, I, I'm sure, yeah, the the Empire State Building would, would love to have tons of visitors, um, but I don't know if this necessarily does it. All right, now, to celebrate this year's Super Bowl in style, 
ProLine Plus is teaming up with Real Sports to take the sports viewing experience to the next level. We are helping them give away tickets to bring you and up to seven friends to Real Sports to watch the biggest football game of the year, including prime seating and a ProLine prize pack with food and beverages. All you have to do is listen for today's code word and then text the code word to 59590 to be entered for a chance to win. Now, today's code word is Super Bowl. Text Super Bowl to 590-590 right now to enter. Might as well get that one out of the way. Uh, must be 19 years of age to enter. Details at sportsnet.ca slash 590. There's levels. Levels to this, Ben. Yeah. Super Take it to the next level. Owl. I All still right. got to figure out which snacks I'm responsible for on Sunday. I haven't, haven't nailed that down with friends. Yeah. For my birthday? No. That's my birthday on Sunday. No, I know. It's in my phone. Super Bowl and Ben's birthday. <laughs> All right. Well, we come back. Uh, NBA trade deadline on Thursday. Let's talk to Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA reporter. As the fan drive time continues, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.